This episode of See Here is brought to you by sort of thing my name is morris you're listening to episode 35 of the see here podcast and i'm joined by my most metal colleagues on the left from seoul in korea mr tim i like it lord meryl yeah got my mascara on thick and heavy for this one and on the right of my screen is bernard stick well Satan. I really, Hello. I really wish I'd learned the words to one of the songs from the actual film. It would have made more sense to us. <laughs> but never mind. You know, we, you've got to follow your dreams some way. Hey, guys. Absolutely. Right. Well, absolutely you do. Yeah, yeah. We're discussing a film tonight called Rockstar from 2001. And uh, what we'll do is we'll quickly go to a break and play you the trailer and then We'll uh, you know, have a bit of a discussion, a bit of a synopsis about the film, and then we'll let you know what we thought of it. I mean, because that's what you're here for, basically, isn't it? Sorry, Mr. Street. Did you ever look at someone else and think if only you had their life, you'd have it all? Look at how cool this is. Signed by all five band members of Steel Dragon. You know what the sickest thing is about you, little man? You fantasize about being somebody else, singing somebody else's songs. Oh, maybe if I get really lucky, I'll get to grow up and listen to Air Supply and wear jackboots like you. What's wrong with Air Supply? We're tired of just being a cover band. We started this because we love playing Dragon tunes. You're gone, man. Am I being kicked out of the group that I started? Let's go. Hello. This is Kurt Cuddy. I play in a band called Steel Dragon. Ricky, you know your English accent is almost as lame as your guitar playing? Well, I can't do much about the accent. What do you suggest to do about my playing? Who is this? We're auditioning for a new lead singer. The good Lord has given you a hell of a voice. Do you want the gig, then? You're not just a regular guy who grew up with the posters of these guys on my walls. And now I'm one of them! He's a rock star now. The normal rules don't apply. How does it feel to know that everyone loves you? You're gonna be great, babe. Perfect insanity, man. Your job is to live the fantasy other people only dream about. Give me some rock star attitude. That's better. Try one with no smile. All these girls have today every day. We're gonna have some mad good times. We combed this entire planet and we found a star waiting to be discovered. First time I laid eyes on you, I said that guy is going all the way. Dream big, live the life. Welcome back from break. You're listening to See Here, episode number 35. If this is your first time joining us, welcome on board. We discuss music-related films. That's our modus operandi. Is that the correct pronunciation? I don't know. The three of us spent copious amounts of beer and time watching this uh, film. So And hairspray. And hair. Oh, I can't forget hairspray. And as you said before, eyeliner. Eyeliner, yep. socks. Yes. So let's just go over some of the technicalities. The film is called Rockstar. Uh, the director is one Stephen Herrick. It was written by 
by John Stockwell, and it stars Mark Wahlberg, Jennifer Aniston, Dominic West, Timothy Spall, and a shitload of hair metal musicians. The IMDb summary was a little bit too long and drawn out, so let's briefly summarize. Singer is booted out of his tribute band for his arrogance and is asked to join the real band he was paying tribute to. Guess how it turns out. All right, let's go around the table. Bernie. Pretty much sums it up. <laughs> I, I think so. Bernie, you picked this film. So my question to you is, why? <laughs> it's a possibly a slightly loaded question there. <laughs> no, um, not at all. I've seen it once before. I didn't remember a huge amount about it, but I, I kind of remember... And not the fuss around it, but I remember it getting fairly poor reviews and doing pretty badly. I think it actually lost a fair bit of money. And it, it's just kind of been sat in the back of my head since we started doing the uh, the podcast. I thought I'm going to pull this out one day and revisit it. Mm-hmm. Just, uh, you know, the whole idea of making a film like this with, you know, big studio money and, uh, you know, some name actors. This has got a hell of a cast, frankly, for the time it was made. It, it, yeah, it just seems like a, kind of one of those sort of bizarre follies that was just sort of doomed to failure. So I figured it would be fun to uh, fun to talk about. Full disclosure here, uh, upon watching it again, I fucking loved it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so... Uh, maybe, look, maybe for not the right reasons, but I, I had a hell of a lot of fun with this. Look, just to come on, off the uh, financials, because you mentioned this uh, about them, the film's budget, I found out, was $57 million, and international what? and international and domestic takings were $19 million. A big, Oof. fat flop, I think it's probably fair to say. And right. we've often gone and discussed on this show a lot more low-key, low budget sort of films and I think it's probably also fairly safe to say that the general public and films about music slash musicians don't really do terribly well I wouldn't say that because whoever signed off against this sort of hadn't done the research and thought you know just because it's going to have Mark Wahlberg and Jennifer Aniston in it and it's going to be about hair meth and 12 years too late I I don't necessarily know that you know people are going to be quite ready for that level of nostalgia yet. But no, you were saying that you know most movies about musicians, you know, and they're not that popular with the public. What about Purple Rain? I mean, there are exceptions, obviously. Yeah, there are exceptions, but this film to me, like, was kind of funny for for several reasons. This was loosely based on uh, Tim Ripper Owens, this replacement singer at Judas Priest after uh, Rob Halford left the band. Yeah, where he 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 was in a tribute band to Judas Priest, and they picked him up, and that's about as far as the reality goes with the rest of the film, right? But what I find funny about this is that whole era that they're going back on, you know, in like the, the mid to late 80s, you know, the whole uh, hair era. What, what's really interesting to me, I don't know what it's like in England, Burn, but in Canada, you know, where I'm from in Ontario, we all had these little small towns and every town had its, its number of bars and they had a circuit where bands would play. And I remember that there were these regional hair bands. We had bands like we, we actually had a band like in, in the film, there's a band Steel Dragon. But in Ontario, like in my hometown, we had a band called Steel Lily. Don't, <laughs> don't, don't ask me why, but they were just called Steel Lily. And then there was another band called right. Joker's Wild. And that, you know, and these were all Amazing. these were all what I call what I call the Avon bands. You know, the, <laughs> The the Avon boys, you know, like uh, cosmetic yeah. cowboys, you know. Oh, I thought but, they, uh, they knocked on your door and say, "Excuse me, sir, uh, or can I interest you in some uh, air metal today?" Right. I never got into you know the whole glam thing. I mean, it, it was you know it just didn't equate with me at all in any way whatsoever. I mean, I could get into you know I love the dolls, you know, and I love Slade and all that the stuff that came before. But Poison, as I like to refer to them as Poisson. <laughs> You know, uh, yeah, there was, uh, you know, Poisson and Rad and and all those bands. I mean, it's just we never understood. A lot of us never understood why the girls got attracted to guys that looked closer to the girls than the guys. You know, hang on, I have a question for you then, Tim. In this film, who do you think is prettier, Mark Wahlberg or Jennifer Aniston? All the fucking talent that was in this band has just left the room. Whoa. That's hard to say. Okay, go on. No worries. Sorry. Sorry for that. I, I, I got to go for Jennifer Aniston. I could relate to this film in a lot of ways because that whole, and the whole, like, you know, we'll get into it, but the whole backbiting between bands, 
you know, the yeah. tribute bits, you know, like that happened in my hometown. There were, there was actual fights in bars and parking lots of both bands, you know, like you fuckers, you know, this is our club. You don't play here. You play at the other club. And it's like, well, we can play wherever the hell we want. They were the ones to book us, not you. And that happened. That's but, amazing because that there's a, a scene in this where, uh, uh, what they call Blood Pollution, which is the Steel Dragon mm. tribute band, mm. which Mark Wahlberg is a singer of. They have a fight with some other tribute band in a, in right. a parking lot, don't they? Hey! Come on. Ah, oh, that is no pussy. Look who's here. Well, if it isn't Yoko Ono, bag five. What do you think you're doing? Making sure nobody gets scammed into seeing some cut-rate copy band. Cut-rate copy band? This dude can't even tune his own guitar. Sure. And I thought, man, they must have just made that shit up because they, they just... No. Oh, it's, that seems no. hysterical. That's, that, that kind of shit happened all the time. Yeah, wow. because, I mean, That's like... Amazing. I, I knew people that worked at, like, you know... Uh, guitar centers in my hometown you know where you could actually rent a PA and you know rent amps and stuff and there was a lot of times where guys would go in and just rent gear to shut everybody else out because they couldn't get their own gear they couldn't afford their own gear right so it's like if you rented the gear from the you know Gary's Guitar Center on the weekend Nobody else could get any gear. A whole competitiveness, a pettiness yeah. between bands, yeah. you know? And then, and then everybody put out their, their EP or their cassette. Back in the day, it was the cassette. You know, we, uh, we're working on our cassette, man. You know, like, we've got three really solid songs, and then we, we've got this real wicked ballad, man. And it's like, you know, okay, whatever, you know? Like, the film did hit some of that. There were some things that kind of, um, I thought, dropped the ball. But anyway, Morris, what, what did you think about this? Basically, I was watching this the whole time and thinking there's a checklist they've said right okay we've got to make sure we introduce the main character he's metal but not too metal he likes his little right. brother check right he's got a pretty girlfriend check he's going to be tempted into the bad life check and I, right. I can't remember what film it was that we were discussing um, actually no sorry it wasn't on C here I was discussing this I think uh, with Eric on a Love It album episode but uh, this is Hollywood's definition of uh, what is dangerous and, right. uh, and really, it's it's a long way from it. And you know, once again, this probably comes out because you're getting Mark Wahlberg and you're getting Jennifer Aniston. And we say, right, well, the multiplex crowd are going to want to be able to predict that they're going to have a nice, happy ending. And right. you know, full sure. disclosure, spoiler, there's a happy ending to this. I felt like the smaller films, and I, I, I mean, I want to make some comparisons, which we can probably get to, but you know, your smaller films like Control or Backbeat or Good Vibrations, you know, which came out a couple right. of years ago from Ireland. Island. They told smaller stories with, and it, like in uh, in Good Vibrations, it was you know one of the few cases where it, it was a true story, and it I cared enough because if you'd heard about it, it'd been just sort of made up, you'd never believe it. So that's what made it all the more interesting in that case. I'd say probably the biggest problem is that after having watched multiple times films like This is Spinal Tap and right. Wayne's World, which is also a Hollywood film, have really right. stopped me from taking the characters in this film that seriously. Right. Uh, there's, there's no character in this film that's an Iggy Pop or a Gigi Allen. Well, you're not going to see Mark Wahlberg in the Gigi Allen story, that's for damn sure. No, I mean, you, are, <laughs> no you are not. This, this whole that's thing, not going to happen. But, you know, this, this whole theme of follow your dream! If you play in a cover band... And you one day may get to follow your dream. And I thought, right, okay. Everything you're saying here, Morris, is exactly why I love this film. <laughs> because it, it hits every cliche, every beat you would expect it to. Right. It's written by somebody who probably did a little bit of research, but really doesn't have much of a clue about how all this stuff works. Right. And it kind of feels like a Hallmark film about the dangers of heavy metal. Yes. Do you know mm. what I mean? It's, it's like a made-for-TV. Yeah. Because of that, I just had a giant shit-eating grin on my face all the way through it. Because, <laughs> it's, I mean, it's utter rubbish, but it is super enjoyable, right. cliched, self-indulgent rubbish of the highest See, order, man. I'll, I'll Taking it on a little spin, a little differently. We're talking, Morris, about having a checklist, right? It, I, I actually, in a way, as I was thinking about it, I was watching the film... It took me back even further to like those old MGM movies, you know, where like a girl joins the, the dancing chorus, you know, and she's like the yeah, old, yeah, you know, like yeah. hay, hayseed country girl. And, mm. and her friends are like, you know, you're going to the big city. Yeah, I'm going. 
going to the big city. I'm going to be a dancing girl. And then all of a sudden, her friends come to the city to see her, and they're like, "You've changed." And she's like, "I haven't changed. I'm just famous now." <laughs> like you know, like I was going to say, what's what's that theory that there, there's only seven different stories if you look at uh, right, sure, sure, know, how drama is is constructed, sure. and then, you know, this is sure. like solidly number three on the list. I think. <laughs> I've, I've, I've got to say that before I, I actually started watching the film, I thought that this was going to be a hair metal variation on something like The Idol Maker or A Face in the Crowd, where, you know, guy with humble roots gets into the big time and he just becomes too big for his britches. Man, I'm just a country boy. <laughs> but if the president tries to stop me, I'll flood the White House with millions of telegrams. When, in fact, he gets big for his britches like in the first five, ten minutes. It's, it's almost like the one moment they say, well, we want you to like this guy, but we'll show the shitty side of him, you know, for, for two minutes. But, oh, gosh, no, we really want you to like him. So we're going to make him lovable. Even when he you know, gets involved in orgies and all that, he knows he's done his girlfriend wrong, his loyal girlfriend. And I imagine that uh, the, the writer, when he was having discussion with, uh, you know, the director or the execs, he was saying, listen, you know what, we're deep. I want to get some subtext into this film we're going to make Mark Wahlberg's character a photocopy repairman you get it <laughs> even in his day job his 9 to 5 yeah. job he's still copying things subtext there right. you get it man yeah exactly there's a lot of people that are music fans like the headbangers and everybody that wants to be part of it you know they, they want to be on the stage they want to be on the big scene you know and everything but it's almost like, you know, they're so close to it that they can't even see what it's really all about. It's like, you know, like Mark Wahlberg. Yeah, he's in the tribute band. Yeah, you know, he's up there as the singer. You know, he's circling the sun, but he's not really there yet. Mm. And, you know, and it's like, but he's so close to it. But at the same time, he really doesn't have any fucking clue what it's all about. And then when they, when he, when he, he does get his end and he's in there, it's suddenly everything that he never expected it to be. You know, I mean, they, but that's just the famous story. I mean, with any type of fame is that you want something yeah. because you don't you don't have it and you don't know really what it is i think anybody who is a fan of anything who you know to, to the extent that the uh, mark Wahlberg character is in this he's obsessed with still dragon you kind of you don't you know you live in your own head you live your own version of that if right. you see what i mean and and that's the, you know that kind of reality to you is going to be completely different to the reality that you will find yourself in should you get to that point which is exactly what happens with Mark Wahlberg here you know so it's it's weird when you're obsessive about something you're a real fan of something it's almost like you're obsessed with your own version of what you think that thing is as opposed to the reality right. of you know right. which is essentially what you were saying but uh, yeah yeah we've got limited space all right just be patient but I've got to check your credentials so please have your pussy passes on display so I was going to come back to um, uh, a couple of other films that sort of where I think they do this sort of thing better. They tell the story of, of a band or relationships within a band better. I mean, look, this one thing that's typical about this film, and you know, I guess maybe to tell the story that they wanted to tell, it's maybe not necessarily a big criticism, but in this film, we really only get the perspective of. Mark Wahlberg as a singer and Kirk Cuddy played yeah, by yeah. Dominic West. Dominic who I West. have to, I adore Dominic West because you know big Man. fan of, of the Wire. So sure. it was it was, uh, it was interesting to see him doing. He his, was really uh, doing really chewing acting. the scenery in this, wasn't he? Right. He really was. I mean, look, they, they fact, just, everyone was chewing the scenery in this. And you guys <laughs> recognise uh, Timothy Oliphant. You know, actually, yes. un until I saw the credits, you know, I didn't. I didn't. Yeah. Funny enough, uh, Tim, Bernice and I uh, were re-watching Justified at the moment. We're about halfway right. through season three. And I didn't even remember that he was in this. We put it on and literally yeah. the first scene, Timothy Oliphant's jamming away there. And yeah. um, we were both like, holy shit. So, uh, yeah, yeah he's, he's, he's great. And I love Timothy Oliphant. He's really good in this. And I mentioned um, uh, you know, films that I thought did it slightly better. So, uh, uh, Backbeat. And, you know, it's true that you know, a, a film like you know, Backbeat is about a real band, but it does take artistic liberties. And like Rockstar, it's a drama. It only focuses on two band members like, like uh, this one does. And, and also, I guess there's a love interest uh, with a beautiful woman. And yet, Backbeat never feels like it's dumbing down for the audience. I mean, I don't know, maybe I'm being a little bit harsh because I know that there are some people who I saw had gone and written on um, YouTube 
uh, for the trailer, you know, they, they've gone and put their comments for no, uh, some people are going to say, this is the best metal film ever, or the second best metal <laughs> film ever. And I thought, you obviously have such a fine line between stupid and, and clever. Uh, yeah, <laughs> with the oldie, I wonder if they were taking the piss when they said that. But I thought, you know, hang on, I'd much rather be watching Black Roses. We know from real life in Backbeat where the story went, but if you didn't, you wouldn't be able to predict it from the film. And, you know, Ian Hart and Stephen Dorff as Lennon and Sutcliffe in that film are completely believable to me. Whereas, right. in the, oh, look, maybe it's just because I never took an interest, you know, in the hair metal scene, and I don't know how pretentious or otherwise this is, and people calling each other, yeah, man, and, and uh, the wives are going to have to go in the car alongside the tour bus. I, I look, to be absolutely honest with you, I'm also surprised that the catchphrase or the slogan for the film posters wasn't, be careful what you pray for, you just might get it. Yeah, yeah. Right. A number of years later, they actually did another metal film with Tom Cruise as a singer, that Rock of Ages. i got to confess, Bernie, when you said that we were doing Rockstar, that's the <laughs> film I thought you'd that's pick. What you thought. Oh, okay. And I thought, oh, Christ, no. Yeah. Rock of Ages was actually based on a musical, wasn't it? So, right, yeah. right, yeah. right, right. right. But I was so thinking, you, you obviously go in with that kind of mindset. But I was thinking, how the, you know, like, how the hell would anybody kind of look at Tom Cruise as a lead singer of a heavy metal band, right? But then again, you know, you look at Mark Wahlberg, and like, you know, in terms of like realism, like, you know, what did you guys think? Like, did you think he really pulled it off? I was expecting him to come out and just like, you got the touch, you got the power, you know, like. He will rock you, and he I, I, I don't think he really pulled it off, but again, I, I think that's the absolute joy of this film is that nobody pulls it off. It's no. wildly miscast. Jennifer Aniston is so miscast in this. Yeah, yeah. yeah. She's um, she sticks out like a sore thumb, and that just makes it better. You know, it's it's like what the fuck were these people thinking? This is amazing. The one actor who I think pulls it off, and it's probably not because of the dialogue that he's given, but just I think everything he does is wonderful. It's Timothy yeah. Spall as, yeah, totally. yeah. as as the road manager. And I have to say that any time in the future, if I think I'm going to you know, quit an enterprise, so if I decide I'm going to leave C here, I'm going to be saying, excuse me, guys, I'm just going to take a piss. <laughs> it's not going to happen, but I'm going to take a piss. <laughs> I've seen him in so many films. He was, uh, what was that British film where he was the drummer for that band in the 70s and they got back together again? No, oh, really? is it uh, not dead yet or not quite dead? Yeah, like that? yeah, yeah, that's the one. We will yeah. cover that at some point. That's a really Who's good the one. Dude? Who's the dude? Uh, oh, man, I'm trying to think of his name now. That's uh, it's, a British, um, act, British yeah, actor it's, that's in... Uh, is it Bill Nye? Bill Nye, yeah. Bill Yeah, with Bill Nye, yeah. I remember that film. That was really good. Yeah, yeah. we'll cover that one. That's a good idea. Well, the back band of Steel Dragon is actually some real heavy hitter metal dudes. Like yeah, totally. Zach, uh, Zach Wild. Uh, there's a guy from Dawkins, Jeff Pilsen. Like, there's a number of guys. Jason. And what I'm, yeah, but what I'm thinking, that, well, of course, you know, Bottom Son. Mm. But um, but here's the thing that's kind of funny is that I think is that I wonder, you know, like, these guys are just like, yeah, this is just a gig, right? But I wonder if, if all these, you know, the real musicians are up there just thinking, look at these fucking clowns. Like, look at these actors. You know, like, look at, like, you know, we're supposed to, we're, we're kind of like the back line here. Like, you know, making it look legit for these uh, for these little prancers. I want to come back to something that you said earlier on, Tim. I, I was reading up about it. You mentioned that this was loosely based, uh, at least at the start, about uh, Ripper Owens, who'd yeah. um, been in a Judas Priest cover band and then joined Judas Priest. Now, what I'd read was that Priest actually approached the makers of the film and said, look, we hear that you're making this film. Yes. We're, we're happy to come on as uh, you know, advisors or you want us to read the script or whatever, never heard back from them. We saw the film and thought, 
glad we had nothing to do with that. <laughs> this is, this is yeah, yeah, yeah. away from the story. So coming back to what you just said now about you know uh, the real metal musicians who probably knew better. Right. But on the other hand, an opportunity to get paid a shitload of money to be on right. uh, to be on a film well, set and, 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 just... and to relive relive that glory. I mean, I can't imagine Dokken were doing much in 2001. Do you know what I mean? So this is <laughs> sure. But I, I just well, wanted to say as well, you, you just mentioned that, Morris, the, the sort of genesis of this film. This, this this is just, you know, again, a, a wonderful way in which Hollywood works that just makes no fucking sense. This was, somebody wrote a magazine article about the uh, the Tim Ripper Owen Judas Priest thing. And uh, someone in Hollywood, some production company, bought the rights to that article. And that's what the film was based on. Right. If you see what I mean. So it wasn't technically based mm-hmm. on the story. It was based on an article written by somebody. It's, yeah, well, you know, I just don't understand how that works. That's it's a- this thing now that people have been talking about recently, like this hyper-realism. You know, this idea that, you know, it, it, it doesn't matter, you know, what is true or what is real. It's what is perceived as being true and real that's important it's- now. Yeah, and Hollywood's yeah. been do, been doing this forever. Oh, I mean, shit, yeah. it, it, you know, it's not it's not whether or not anything is legitimate or or anything is authentic. It's it, it's what is perceived by a majority of people as being authentic or being authentic enough. The majority of people that went out to see this film, you know, know as much about metal as I know about my ass from a hole in the ground. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it's just, that's it, man, you know? But, but that comes back to the whole thing about being justified, the film being written by Hollywood committee. We can give this perception that this was the truth as long as it's entertaining and it'll put bums on seats uh, right. and we can get the message across, uh, you know, maybe the metal life isn't really a good life then um, mission <laughs> mission accomplished. So what happens at the end? Uh, you know what? Did you guys, I take it, you've both seen uh, This Must Be The Place, right? The, sure. The, the film with um, Sean Yeah, Penn. Sean Penn. Right. Yeah. So at the yeah, first, oh, yeah, yeah, sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so at the very end of the film, uh, well, he spends the whole film looking like Robert Smith and he keeps blowing his hair out of his eyes. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. And the very end of the film, when he's found redemption and he's going to be a new man, what does he do? He cuts his hair. And in this film... He, t- he turns into Eddie Vedder is what he correct. does. He decides right. to take out grunge. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's just, even the way he's dressed with his kind of like ratty pullover and his... Oh, uh, yeah. You know, in his, was... his kind of T-shirt and his... Yeah, oh, man, yeah. that was just I was expecting to see Cobain yeah. start popping up. Yeah, you know. totally. They they were totally playing that gig in some sort right. of Seattle coffee house, right. weren't they, at the end there? That was just... Right. You look at, like, um, Penelope Spheris, okay? And she did Wayne's World, and a lot of people argued and said well this isn't really authentic either right no way way but then when you actually looked at you know spheris did the metal years right you know like, yes, she did yeah yeah and so she knows she knows the stuff inside and out totally, so i mean yeah. she's she was a hell of a lot closer with wayne's world i mean wayne's world was supposed to be tongue-in-cheek hmm. yeah but i mean but this to me is you know is just kind of like some guy who's when his kids are off at school he's kind of walking in through their bedrooms and kind of peering in their <laughs> record collections and he's kind of looking rap, up at the wall rap, what's, what's going on yeah Dokin? Uh, you know, yeah. it's like you know, Uzi Osborne. Ah, oh, okay. Ah, oh, that's the guy. You know, like, and he's just scribbling notes down on a memo pad, and then going, going back to the studio and saying, "Yeah, this is what I, I kind of finagled it on my daughter's bedroom." You know, and these posters, these Absolutely. albums, the spandex, and whatever. You know, it's but of course they Absolutely. throw. But of course Absolutely. they throw in the, the few minutes, well, the few moments, I should say, of danger. Supposed danger with uh, Timothy Spall coming up with lines like, uh, "Now the only chance you're getting hold of one of these passes, sunshine, is if you get a sex change and you're prepared to do a blowjob." Think maybe I could have one of those. <laughs> Not without a blowjob and a sex change, pal. <laughs> but have a nice day. Ciao. The so-called orgy scene, and oh, of course, yeah. it's like uh, and, and Herrick. Uh, they probably went and read the wrong biography. Hey, you know what? I read that The Who went and did things like throw televisions out yes. the windows and they went and glued, super glued furniture to the ceiling. Yeah, yeah. Hey, wouldn't it be wacky if we got these guys doing it? Because they're dangerous. They're metal. And See, yeah. I, I, again, absolutely right. But this is why it's so great because it is just... 
it's those kind, you know, the, the kind of so-called orgy scene and the the scene in the club where everyone's getting drunk and uh, dancing erotically with each other and stuff. That stuff because the, the whole tone of the movie is like this kind of lifetime film. Yeah. Right. That stuff just or, or feels else. so uncomfortably awkward and out of place so that it just right. adds or, to the joy <laughs> of watching it. Not even lifetime, Bernie, but it re- it takes me back to some of the early like AIP films, the Roger or, Corman, or even, like you know. <laughs> Even go, go. an after-school special or something. Right, right, right. But I mean, the day my but, no, was, <laughs> but I was thinking more of like the dangers of rock and roll, you know, and like you know, yeah, and the kids, yeah. the kids out there, you know, and it's like you know, high school delinquents, you know, like drag yeah, strip yeah. riot, you know, like that whole that whole kind of thing. It's right, like sunset strip, yeah, yeah. Right, right, right. So the parents see it, they're like, "Oh my God, this is hedonistic! Like, what are they doing?" You know, and it really scares the parents, right? You know what I mean? Yeah, but I mean, yeah. any any. Anybody who has a brain in their head, you look at this film and everyone's like, this is metal. And it's like, fuck that, man. Rain and blood. That's metal. Yeah. I mean, you know, like Slayer. That's metal. But I like that one scene, though, when the guy says, uh, did you get in a... And he goes, no, I'm wearing eyeliner. I- I'm in a band. <laughs> and the other really big part about this film is it becomes the machine that... That is the film industry that's that's giving you this film. So there, there's some some level of uh, irony or chutzpah yeah. where yeah. where uh, Mark Wahlberg's character Chris Cole finally discovers that no, this band is bigger than any of us. You, we don't want your new songs. I write the songs because right. that's part yeah, of how the yeah. machine works. Our fans, right? our loyal diehard fans, our very lifeblood, if you will, expect to see certain things. Right? And we like to give them what they want. And we don't deviate from that because one disappointed fan can quickly turn to two, two to four, four to eight, and on and on like that until the next thing you know, we're playing to a half empty hall. And our lost sheep are off enjoying the rock stylings of, say, rat. So while I understand your impulse to do your own thing, and I admire it in some small way, if you want to stay with Steel Dragon, then you're going to have to reconcile yourself for the time being to doing the Steel Dragon thing, right? And the Steel Dragon thing is that AC and I write the songs. You sing the songs that we write. Am I clear? You can't write the songs because you're not really part of the machine. This is part of the right. corporation. It's For- a Disney ride, and it's like, no, you you can't be Cinderella. I'm Cinderella. That's you're right. just one yeah. of the, you know, you're you're one of the dwarves or whatever. You know, like just don't, play your role, and right. yeah, don't exactly. try to don't yeah. try to add any danger. Don't try to add any challenging subject matter to this film because that's not well, what the machine does. This film don't is even bigger try to be than your creative. Right, right, right. Yeah. Well, but again, it's it's no different from working in an office space. You know, fixing photocopy yeah. this is like you know that's you that's your position and you know like that you know you you can't deviate from from that at all i mean you know do you think that this film would have worked better even with even with all cliches and checklists and all that would the film have worked better if it had been a deliberate comedy no i don't think it would have at all i, I think that the fact that this is so wrong-headed is what makes it a, you know a, a genuinely fun experience i think if they'd actually tried to inject it with some real comedy probably would have fallen pretty flat so um totally not when spinal tap came up it set a precedent because it tried to take itself so seriously that's what made it so hilarious Mm. i mean of course obviously you know it was injected throughout you know saturated with the comedy but i'm just saying the way that uh rob reiner played it so straight-faced yes was you know it just made it so hilarious right and i mean and in a way this film is trying to be serious too but it's unintentionally funny yeah. Whereas with Spinal Tap, it was intention. It was supposed to be funny, but was it with this film? It's unintentionally funny, and it's just like, oh Jesus, no! Come on, what is this? You remember that moment early on in the film? I think where uh, Wahlberg's character faces his audience for the first time. That press conference right. on the roof, yeah. No, 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 not the press. The first concert performance, and he's walking down that big flight of stairs, yeah. and he trips, and he trips, and yeah. falls down on the stage, and the camera's looking <laughs> on him, and you just know, right? Oh, that, really? You'd never predict it. It's okay, man. You can either face your fears and oh, get up, or you can amazing. go down as a loser. I mean. It's like they're slapping you around the face with a big wet fish, isn't it? Look, look at the, the drama and the emotion inherent in this moment. Is he going to make it? 
yeah. it does, and it's amazing. Yeah, oh, everything slows down. Do you believe in rock and roll? You know? <laughs> oh, oh. Yeah, yeah, fantastic. It, it has a circular conclusion with, you know, oh, oh, man, it's with Wahlberg. Very clever. Very Wal- clever. Or, is it? <laughs> <laughs> no, that was irony. That's oh, right. Shoot, you had me right there. <laughs> so Wahlberg's character gets the gig because he's singing. And of course, mind you, the rules of physics are never obeyed in this film. You're on, you're on stage. The band members are talking to each other. Both one. There's no solo break after the chorus. They don't care. That's ah! not how the song goes. Dude, I know how the song goes. Well, if you know how it goes, then play it right. Chris, you are taking this shit too seriously. That's right, I take this shit really seriously because the music deserves to be taken seriously. If you don't take it seriously, you don't deserve to play it. When it's that late, they, would they oh, hear just, each other I, or conversation? So, yeah. There's that uh, scene uh, near the start before uh, the trib- he gets kicked out of the tribute band. They, they've put on this concert, which uh, something that seems to be some kind of steel mill. And actually, they actually thank the uh, like something hill steel plant for letting us key steel plant for letting us put the gig on here. But they're, they're playing, <laughs> you know, they're up there rocking, and uh, Timothy Oliphant as a guitarist starts kind of improvising a bit and going for it a little bit with the solos and you know mark Wahlberg, he's not having it he doesn't like it you know you're not being true to the music so he goes up to him mid-song and it's like they have this conversation mid-song and it's like you know a a film where if people are in the foreground talking the people in the background can't actually hear them it's kind of like an aside to the audience but he's doing it on stage during this ripping solo yeah And, and that conversation goes on for about 30 seconds and it's like yeah, it's just pure fantasy. It's amazing. It's oh man, I was right. laughing out loud at that moment. I'll tell you firsthand, it can't happen. It doesn't happen. No, exactly. Well, I exactly. mean, for every for every band I've ever seen saying, uh, "Can I get some more monitor, please?" You know, <laughs> it's like, come on, you know, like shit, man. Yeah, it's oh, funny. Right. So you got you, just have, you have to enjoy it on that level. That's that's what it's all about with this film. If you try and read anything too serious into it take it too seriously you're going to be disappointed i have this impression that in american films or american tv shows there's the cliched view of, of a of a british character so tell me <laughs> i mean really was was the um, the timothy spall character i mean i, I can't mean, i guess the band was british to begin with but tell me did the timothy spall character seem really very cliched very over the top very american view of what a brit is supposed to be like See, it's interesting you say that because I think Kirk Cuddy, the Dominic West character, mm-hmm. was more along those lines. He was using right. the uh, really kind of English slang and dialogue, right. Uh, right. which somebody who doesn't quite know English slang and dialogue would have written. Obvious. If we give a toss, who you're buggering? Um, <laughs> it was almost yeah. like uh, you received you received bad news, Bernie. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was bad news, man. It was. So no, I, I thought Timothy Spall, particularly during that kind of scene where he has that heart to heart with uh, Mark Wahlberg, I think he kind of probably nailed it better than anyone else did. He was just felt right. a little bit more genuine in that respect. I don't know right. whether that was down to the writing for his character or probably more so him being an actor and being able to elevate it, you know? His character and his acting was really the one thing in this film that I genuinely enjoyed. It wasn't... There was no level of irony or I think, well, it, it's shit, but I like it anyway. His character really actually had, had some level of depth. Or maybe it didn't, but I was just getting soft by the time. Well, uh, like I said, maybe, maybe it didn't, but it's just because Timothy Spall such an amazing actor. He was yeah. just, you know, he's able to bring that to it. Whereas pretty much everyone else in this, nowhere close. <laughs> no, I was saying, Bernie, do you remember um, the British comedian Harry Enfield? Of course, yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, yeah. You know, with, with, with the, the, the guitar player, he's like, Oh, hey, singer, I'm the guy that writes the songs. You're yeah. the guy that just sings the songs, all right? You don't be writing any songs, singer. I'm the singer. I'm the guy that writes the songs. Me and the other guy write the, you know, like, it was almost like a Harry Enfield skit. Like, it was really yeah, totally. hilarious. Like, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> Yeah, absolutely. You know, I get the impression I enjoyed this a lot more than you two guys did. And I, I want to give that love to our listeners out there. As I, I, you know, I mentioned the uh, the scene where they were arguing on stage, which was pretty awesome. There's a scene a little bit later on when uh, Mark Wahlberg's obviously in the money now because he's been touring. Uh, he actually buys the Batmobile. He has a drag race with the Batmobile. Yeah. 
Yeah, your, your silence speaks volumes. <laughs> <laughs> and there's, you know, there's kind of like when uh, Mark Wahlberg's parents are at the uh, the concert, and then they're, they're kind of like rocking out in the audience with everyone else, just so wrong-headed. It's amazing, fantastic. Doesn't, doesn't a mother say, "Oh, that's my son"? Yeah, yeah. Whoa. Uh, the uh, the aftermath of the uh, the orgy when Jennifer Aniston wakes up in the morning in bed with like three other people. Did you spot there's one guy in bed with her who's got a chain mesh vest on, which was uh, pretty spectacular. I don't recall. I don't recall. Oh, you, you weren't paying attention. That that uh, Tanya, who's the woman who meets Mark and, uh, no, and Jennifer at the airport when they arrive. Tanya. Turns out Tanya. So uh, when do we when do we get there? Tanya, is it? Tanya. 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 Turns out she's a dude. Oh my oh. god! But yeah, when do you remember that bit? No, I, I didn't. No, when Mark, Mark Wahlberg gets up out again after the orgy and he's walking there to find the bathroom, and she stood at a urinal peeing. <laughs> you don't remember that? Where was I? I? I did watch it like two weeks ago. Oh, that that bit was pretty good. Oh, uh, there's a bit where <laughs> I think it's the drummer from the band Mark and uh, and uh, Jennifer Aniston Mark you calling him Mark it's Chris isn't it yes. well, he becomes Izzy actually Izzy, the singer. Yeah. Izzy. Izzy and uh, Amy who's uh, Jennifer no Emily sorry Emily. Jennifer yeah. Aniston's yeah. character they have this heart to heart because Emily's d- deciding she's going to uh, go back to Seattle and open a business with somebody because she's just not enjoying this rock and roll lifestyle and she brings this up with Chris just before he's being interviewed and she leaves and Chris kind of turns around and the drummer from the band is there getting a blood transfer fusion right. it's like yeah just getting the, the blood getting the oil changed you know man because of this lifestyle it's uh it's heavy going man so you know got to get the blood changed every now and again just, just like what the fuck where did that come from what's going on <laughs> it was oh, another, like, it was another case of this is why the rock and roll lifestyle is evil it's evil evil yeah. this you know this could be like a uh, a, a, a sort of pro-christian fundamentalist kind of film in a way couldn't it no this film kind of plays on every uh, urban legend of rock and roll you know like the whole thing about the blood transfusion with the drummer in this film it's like that's what people had said for years about Keith Richards every year he's got to go to Austria and get a blood transfusion Transfusion, but they can't take it because his blood's so toxic he can't accept any other blood. Sleeping like this will have ten years to your life. I learned it from Keith Richards when I toured with the Stones. This may be the reason why Keith cannot be killed by conventional weapons. They said the same thing about Lemmy, same shit, yeah. you know. And the, and the other thing too is when going back a little bit, when you're talking about when he goes out, you know, for his debut and he trips down the stairs and he bloodies his head. There's been so many bands, like for example, Gene Simmons set his hair on fire during a Kiss concert. Ace Frehley was electrocuted. I mean, there's been <laughs> there's been so many bands that have actually had real injuries on stage i mean like steven tyler falling off the stage you know in the middle of a concert walking right off the stage because he's so loaded you know i mean that kind of shit happens all the time and i mean that's kind of you know and when they hear loose stories about these kinds of things i mean like spinal tap really did it up perfectly but this is kind of like almost like they're getting the crib notes of rock and roll. The writer got the uh, the big book of rock and roll cliches for his birthday or something, and he was just kind <laughs> right. of literally just copying out scenes directly from that. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. yeah. All right, so I think we've pretty much covered all that we want to convey about the viewability of this film. So just final thoughts. Uh, to, how many cans of hairspray do you award it? <laughs> Tim? Oh, man. You know, I'm with Morris, you know, you want to watch Black Roses, you know, or you want to watch Rock and Roll Nightmare. You know, I mean, if you really want to see a true hairspray rock and roll film, that's that's what you need to do. Is, I mean, you know, the, or, or Penelope Spheres, you know, the metal years, you know, I mean, this is what I like to refer to as an airplane film. It's something you're going to see on the airplane and you really can't go anywhere and you've got to kill some time and you're just basically sitting there going, okay, I'll accept this for what it is at the moment because I can't do anything else about it, you know? So, yeah, I, I'll, I'll, I'll give this uh, I'll give this one little dash of mascara and, and the faint whiff of hairspray. <laughs> Bernie, we know you love it, so what's I, in the scheme of things you're rating? 
I would give it five cans of hairspray out of five, but it wouldn't be like uh, L'Oreal Firm Hold hairspray. It would be like the, the discount store hairspray, which, right. uh, you know, the, uh, the containers, uh, you know, one in every thousand of the actual cans might explode if it gets too close to, uh, to your uh, right. you know, kind of curling tongs or whatever. I'm with you. I see what you guys are saying. It is a stupid piece of shit film. <laughs> but it, it nails every cliche so perfectly and almost right. kind of almost in, in a manner like you, you kind of think the filmmakers didn't even realize they were doing that. It's just right. so wrong headed that I just I had so much fun with it. I really enjoyed it. I mean, it's it's a bad film. To, to be fair, the way I, I see the band Steel Dragon in this film is the way that I actually saw the real bands like Poison and Dawkins sure, yeah. and all and all yeah. those bands from the eighties. I, I saw them with the same type of, you know, amusement and rolling my eyes like, Oh, oh really ladies, huh? But How then, interesting. Uh, they didn't make this film for us, Tim. They didn't make it for us, uh, you no, know, kind of eighties no. alternative punk types who hated that shit. They made it for uh, <laughs> the kind of white bread masses who ate this shit up then and well obviously yeah. didn't this time because it tanked so badly for, for um, people on an airplane like I said for it's, people well, it, it's a metal film for people who don't like or know nothing about metal basically yes. right yes. and yeah, at the so, end of the film don't know anything about grunge yeah <laughs> but it's they, a metal they, film for people who don't know shit about shit basically right I'd, lo- I'd uh, love to hear I mean I know what you'd think but I'd love to hear Sam Dunn give a review of this film oh yeah so okay, so look, you know where I stand, and yet, having said all that, if you were to say, right, you have to sit down and watch Rockstar again or The Blank Generation again, I'll take Rockstar any day. So you know, Timothy yeah. Timothy Spall, he, he made it uh, his part. I, I genuinely loved what he had to do. And look, despite everything that I've gone and said, it's a film that it says, please like me, please, 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 and whatever else shit I can have to say about why this film is so wrong. There were moments where I thought, yeah, I'm liking it. What's wrong with me? What's wrong with me? Um, it's, <laughs> right. Yeah, so it's, it's that sort of uh, thing. So, yeah, I'll, look, I'll, I'll give it close to Tim's rating. What, what is it? Um, uh, two eyeliners of mascara and some lipstick or... Right. Hmm. Okay. So you, you know, go. it's like Marky, Marky Mark was like that little train where he's like, you know, he's looking at, he wants to rock and he's like, I think I can, I think I can. And he's like, look at me, Marky I'm rocking. Yeah. Yeah. He's like, yeah, exactly. The little Marky Mark that could. And then he's up there, look at me, I'm rocking. Woo! So, what do you, do you think that we'll be advertising the existence of this episode of the podcast on Mark Wahlberg's fan page? Yeah, yeah, let's do it. Yeah, let's do it. Um, all right, so there you go. That's uh, episode 35 of See Here in the Can. And time to uh, quickly talk about next month's episode, See Here 36, which is important because it's the end of the year and, you know, time to take stock and think about the year that's just... No, actually, maybe we don't want to do that. Uh, no. But next month will be three years. At the end, uh, after next Holy month... Holy shit. Three years since we started this little podcast. We were the podcast that said, Jeez. I think we can... I think we can. I think we can. <laughs> and you know, we've had we've had some uh, really fun, fun times, and you know, a little bit of rocky times, and all that sort of thing. But we're here for you. We're here to talk about films that have musical issues because we have musical issues. And I'm going to stop rambling on, and let's just talk quickly about episode 36. So it's my pick, but it is a film that I know is in high regard for uh, Tim, at least. I'm not sure where you'll stand on this, Bernie, but um, the film I've chosen is 1968. I think maybe only our second piece of animation. It's Yellow Submarine. Uh, Oh, fuck. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Sorry, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Oh, good. Okay. So we, we're going I'm to. We, we, I hope. Uh, so we're going to be joined uh, by two people. Well, one person who's going to join us for the conversation. Uh, his name is Sam Wiles, and he was he's the ex-host of the uh, very very wonderful Dan and a Hole podcast, which was focusing album by album on the music of Tom Waits. And he's now going to start it up uh, a new podcast where he's now going to go through the entire Paul McCartney back catalogue. So a Beatles tragic, a Paul McCartney tragic. His, his podcast is called Paul or Nothing. I think I have to have some words with him about that title, but never mind. It, it's still an excellent podcast. So Sam Wiles will be joining us to uh, discuss Yellow Submarine. He was um, very, very keen, very, very excited to talk some Beatles with us. And uh, 
the other part, the other guest who's going to be on the show, I'm going to be doing a separate interview with, uh, is a fellow called Mitch Axelrod. Now, if you are a listener to uh, his fantastic podcast called Fab Four Free For All, you'll know um, that he's uh, another member of a terrific trio. Uh, not quite as good as us, but Fab Four Free For All, they do a lot of really wonderful, interesting Beatle talk. And, you know, just when you sort of think that talking about one band could be fairly limited, I tell you, these guys are supremely entertaining and nothing could be further from the truth. So even if you're not a Beatles diehard or Beatles tragic, give them a listen. They're wonderful. But why I've chosen particularly Mitch to uh, have an interview or have a bit of a discussion with me is because he wrote a book uh, several years ago called Beatles Tunes. And that is the only book that I'm aware of that is that focuses on the Beatles cartoons put out by King Features, uh, ran between 1965 and 1969. The ABC uh, Random in America, yeah. Right. They, um, it, it was actually interesting reading the book you find out that there were four different uh, animation houses that contributed to the making of the show but um, I'll leave it to Mitch to sort of go through the history how the cartoon came to be about and why it's highly unlikely that the film will ever see the light of the day on DVD in 2016 or really anywhere in the 21st century I, I thought yeah, it, it's not about Yellow Submarine that we'll be discussing although I guess maybe I'll ask him a few things about that about his knowledge of that but given that we're talking about a, a piece of animation how it developed from these Beatle tunes and how completely different Yellow Submarine is from the uh, the weekly kids cartoon or indeed where the similarities may lie. So um, I'm looking forward to that discussion with Mitch. Should be fascinating stuff. Uh, a Beatle Fest next month on uh, C here. Hope you can join us for that. Uh, if you want to write into us to uh, tell us your thoughts about Rockstar, where we got it wrong, where we got it right, or maybe even suggest some films for 2017, uh, or even if you say, I think you guys don't know your stuff, I can improve, join us for a show. We'd love to have you on. Write to us at seeherepodcast at gmail.com and get and uh, join us on our Facebook page, which is, uh, we're a friendly group, um, and uh, the, the group... What's the URL? It's uh, facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash see here podcast. And uh, we'd love you to join the group and give us your thoughts uh, about uh, your favorite music related films. Come up with some suggestions. You might come up with something that we've never heard of before. We'd love to hear from you. We'd love to take on your suggestions. I don't know that we did we do any requests this year. We did four requests last year, but I don't know if we've done anything this year. Well, next year, let's change that. If um, uh, any of you who are listening to this and you think I'd like to hear your discussion on a particular film, send it in to us and we will do it. If we've not already done it, I don't care. If it's Abba the movie, we'll do it. If it's Can't Stop the Music, I'm all up for it. So you come up with your suggestion. We'd like it, of course, if you came up with you know some interesting films. But if you want Abba the movie, baby, we're on it. That's it. <laughs> we, we, live for our, we live for our listeners, both of you. I mean, all of you. So I think with that, I just want to say party on, guys. Party on. If you, uh, if you uh, work hard enough and uh, follow your dream, you too can be the singer in a rock and roll band. So don't give up, people. <laughs> It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. 
Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any fantasy points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that fantasy points has to offer. That's fantasypoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. Fantasypoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points. 